I'm Dr. G, and for the past 10 years of my life, I've been passionate about all things holistic healing. I've been committed to healing myself and others from the inside out by incorporating some of the most effective modalities for healing the mental, the emotional, and the physical. I've learned that they give us the opportunity to be our most authentic and powerful selves. Heal Thyself is a show dedicated to just that. Today's show is going to be incredible, and I say it every week, of course I do, because it is incredible. Knowledge bombs of digestible information to empower and create clarity on what the highest version of us looks like. Product reviews to provide informed consent so you can buy the safest and best products out there. Better than the first two that I spoke about, and you're getting other B vitamins, which are energizing, right? Get off of it, throw it away. And special guest segments with some of the brightest and most elite minds in their field. So what is that like on my nervous system? Six hours of holding that emotion. Here's the earth, here's the mechanisms and mechanics of an earth when it breathes. We would think much different about that asthma patient that shows up. All to create change in all the parts that make you, you, so we can start healing ourselves and each other. Hey, all right, everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to Heal Thyself for another week and another show. Awesome show we have today. Uh, I've been waiting for quite a while to uh, put together a child trauma show, and I've been getting so many actually emails, more emails and DMs, but a few DMs are saying, hey, can you do a show, a comprehensive show on child trauma? And uh, took some time, a lot of research, um, but we have the show ready, and we're going to talk a little bit about what child trauma looks like, what happens in the body of a child when they're facing that trauma, how it manifests into adolescence, teens, right? And then in young adulthood and adulthood. So it's going to be a really important show because this is relevant for everyone. It's on a spectrum and we've all had something within our childhood of which has changed our biology or physiology in some, some way or another. So it's important for us to understand not only what is happening in our bodies, but to really get a feel if what we're holding on to is serving us and what resources are out there for us to do better for our health. All right, so that is a childhood trauma segment. Awesome guest, actually, out of NYU, Wendy Suzuki, the author of Good Anxiety, right? And isn't that a little bit of a contradiction? But Good Anxiety is a book that she uh, released, and she's going to be talking about how we can hone in and work with those feelings of anxiety to better serve us too. So I can't wait to really talk to her. She's, if you never heard her speak, she's a super dynamic, super excited speaker. She loves her work, and she's so passionate, and that's why we really wanted to get her out here talking to you all. So uh, without further ado, you know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best. And they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, 
rosehip oils. And the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products. GHKCU and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alituria Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. Organifi's liver detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trophalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula packed with antioxidants that has been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has your back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. Child trauma. I wanted to do this show because obviously we were all children, right? We all came into this world fully present, fully embodied, curious about the world around us. We all came into this world in truth, right? With the, without the identities that we were taught throughout time from family, TV, teachers, community members, and as we grow older, our friends. And whoever influenced us with their truth has instilled upon us a truth that may not be our truth. So it's a major key to understand, right? Because it's not necessarily our truth. And if you remember, episode 131 with Marin Azov, she spoke about us not knowing ourselves, right? Or what we really want. And our life being the culmination of other people telling us how to be, do, say, and have things in our life. Oftentimes, we feel lost because we aren't in touch with that part of us of what we want to be, do, say, and have. And the reason I bring this up in the context of childhood trauma is because when we are young, we are sensitive and we are impressionable, right? We're open, we're curious, like newborn sponges soaking in the stimulus of life's gifts, right? And when we're super present, we're soaking up the pure experiential ecstasy that is life. Uh, but when we get older, we get clouded, right? We begin with the I and then all of, a, all of a sudden, through time, we developed we develop our identity with other people's truths, and we get lost with that gift of ourselves. And when we experience child trauma, it becomes a spectrum, right? And I mentioned this 
earlier when we introduced this, childhood trauma is a spectrum in that many of us think that, no, you know, I had a really good life. I wasn't abused. I wasn't in a household with substance abuse or domestic violence. I wasn't unsafe most of my life. But it can and just so happen that in that spectrum, we may fall right in the middle or even on the lower end of the spectrum. But we have to think about different factors, right? Just because some person experiences a trauma and one more than the other, well, it could be that maybe the person who experiences a less traumatic experience may have a more sensitive constitution. So it becomes more pronounced in their physiology. So it's really important for us to understand what trauma can do to us as children and in our body. So the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM, the version number five, is a book by the American Psychiatric Association, right? And do I agree with everything in it? No, absolutely not. I think they missed the boat on many, if not all, psychological disorders. That's another conversation. But I digress because I'm using this as a definition for us to understand it. And they do really synthesize a definition that can encapsulate the energy of really what these traumas do. So anyway... The DSM defines child trauma as exposure to actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. This includes experiences of direct trauma exposure, witnessing trauma, or learning about trauma that happened to a close friend or relative. Doesn't have to happen exactly to us, all right? In children, motor vehicle accidents, bullying, terrorism, exposure to war, child maltreatment, whether it be physical, sexual, emotional abuse, neglect, and exposure to domestic and community violence can all encapsulate what trauma is. So you understand it, can, it doesn't always have to be a direct exposure. It can, be, it can be close relative or close friend, or it can be something like a motor vehicle accident, but it's something that in our body is creating a memory. And as I go on with this part of the Knowledge Bomb segment, you'll understand how incredible the body is at remembering. A really good article that I had read a while ago is called The Biological Effects of Child Trauma. And it's by Dr. Michael DeBellis and Abigail Zisk. And in this article, we learn about what trauma does to the body. So the way that I can say this, and b before I jump in this, remember I talk a lot about a fight or flight and the sympathetic being the fight or flight and the rest and digest, the opposing side of it is the parasympathetic, the relaxed state. Now, we are meant to be mostly in parasympathetic. We are only meant to have bursts of sympathetic activation of our nervous system, right? And we see things like uh, the dilation of the pupil, increased blood to our muscles, increased heart rate, right? All of the blood shunts away from our digestive organs into our body so we can protect ourselves and survive. But a lot of us with low-grade stress live that. But it also happens that those of us who had child trauma consistently have that in our bodies, right? So the stressors associated with the traumatic event are processed in the body's sensory systems through the brain in the thalamus, which then goes to another part of the brain called the amygdala. Now, this is a central component of the brain's fear detection and anxiety circuits. So then in response, cortisol levels in the adrenals become elevated through the transmission of fear signals to the neurons in the prefrontal cortex part of our brain. And what that is doing is increasing that sympathetic nervous system activity. So this is leading to a change in heart rate, as I mentioned, metabolic rate, blood pressure, and alertness. But it's not just for the short term. This happens for a long time. This trauma can lead to PTSD, which is defined by an individual experiencing intrusive re-experiences of the events avoidance of any stimuli associated with the trauma, and persistent symptoms of increased psychological arousal, fight or flight. 
So this process described occurs repetitively throughout the person's life. In many ways, it becomes stored in our body as a memory. And that makes sense biologically, right? We see a threat in the village and that threatens you passing on your genes so you remember it. And your body responds every time we have a memory of it, a sound, a sight, even a smell. So things happen over time, but the body adjusts. Think about it. If we are consistently stressed throughout our days for a long time, our body adjusts by creating more stress receptors, right? Because it's going to adapt. The, bo the body is never fixed. It's always dynamic. So it's adapting to the conditions that we give it. So whether knowingly or unknowingly, we know these traumas, they continue to signal our body over and over. So what do these conditions look like? Let's get deeper on how the effects of child trauma affect our brain as children. So each of these effects of trauma have been shown to have several detrimental downstream effects on many biological systems, not just the brain, but our brain included. So primarily we see our neurotransmitters and our hormones affected. So we have things like nightmares of the recurrent event that are thought to be linked to dysregulation of several neurotransmitters like serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Avoidance behavior may be rewarded in the body through the dopamine opioid system. So the more that you know you're avoiding a person, place, thing, situations, or circumstance, you're releasing more dopamine in the body and you're avoiding the triggers and that can stimulate the psychological association or that numbing sense, which the body favors because it's doing its job to avoid the stressor and then overall promote survival of the organism. But we also see a disruption in a system called the LHPA axis. This is the limbic hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. The limbic hypothalamic and pituitary part of this term is going to be the part of our brain. So the limbic system is, resp is responding and sending signals to the hypothalamic, which is responding and sending signals, signals to the pituitary. And hence that is activating a hormonal releasing hormone to the adrenals, right? And the adrenals are responding with stress. It's interesting because this system is upregulated in people who've responded to trauma, who've had trauma in their lives. And it's essential for our body's regulator for stress. So one of the downstream molecules of LHPA is something called glucocorticoids, which are released by the adrenal glands, as I just mentioned. And these are the hormones that play an important role in the nervous system, specifically when it's regarding to the metabolic and immune function, but also cognitive and brain development. When this system is upregulated, like we see in children who've had trauma in their lives, there is a prolonged upregulation pathway, which is continuously manifesting as a generalized arousal or generalized anxiety or aggression or hypervigilance, right? And the inhibition of feeding and sexual behavior. So think about this. When we have a child with trauma, right, in the home, let's say, for example, and then they go to school, we may see those children manifesting through this very pathway, the LHPA pathway, we may see a hypervigilance in school, more anxiety in children who have at-home trauma, increased arousal and hypervigilance around them, right? Aggression. So we see, we can, we can see the character of a child who is going through some sort of trauma at home or in their community by the way they're manifesting. And this is mainly because of the communication between the brain and the adrenal. And with that communication, we're seeing a change in the hormones and an upregulation of all of those hormones that are causing us to be in fight or flight. And that's in childhood. But what about as a child grows up? 
Now, this trauma has been shown to have an adverse impact on child brain development. You can actually see it on brain imaging, a child who's undergone a severe trauma, which is incredible because it's causing structural changes in the brain. And remember, the brain is plastic. It can move around. So I mentioned stress can alter glucocorticoid levels, and this has been shown to impair brain development and function. But this also includes a stunting of neurogenesis. That means it is the formation of new neurons in the brain. That's going to be stunted by the trauma. And as a child grows into adolescence, this can present as impaired executive functioning or decision-making, disruptive behaviors, poor cognitive function, and neural integration. So what we're seeing is in these children, those may be the children who are at risk, rebellious, making poor decision, disruptive, right? And especially in school, their poor cognitive functioning is manifesting as maybe having issues with school, being left back, being in remedial classes. We see that because that is a downstream effect of all the stuff that is happening in the brain and is being signaled into the body, especially the adrenals. The rate of substance use disorders also begins to rise, especially we see that in adolescents. And this is because serotonin plays a major role in child development. And this hormone is often depressed in these individuals. And why is that important? Because remember, I just mentioned the LHPA axis. Well, serotonin is really important because it helps modulate that axis. So when that axis is upregulated, right, in the fight or flight, and the brain is sending those signals to the adrenal, serotonin tells it to calm down. But when serotonin is depleted, especially in children who have gone undergone childhood trauma, we see that downregulated or uncontrolled. So we have an upregulation of LHPA and a low amount of serotonin. The decreased serotonin also has been linked to depression in children or adolescents, anxiety, aggressive behaviors, personality disorders. Trauma has also been linked to a dysregulation of oxytocin, which is an important hormone coined the tend and befriend hormone. And it has roles in forming interpersonal relationship, emotional recognition, empathy, attachment. So it may be that these adolescents who've suffered childhood trauma early on have a detachment from relationships. They're the ones who may have trouble making friends may have trouble recognizing emotions from other people, having empathy. Oxytocin is also involved in the body's stress regulation system, just like serotonin. And there's longitudinal studies that have shown that childhood trauma leads to lower IQ scores and deficits in reading abilities. And guess what? As you may have guessed, this dysregulation leaks into adulthood. Interestingly though, cortisol levels, which is the body's stress hormone, initially increases when the child trauma happens right, through the LHPA access, as I mentioned, but actually steadily decreases into adulthood. So we begin to mount less of a cortisol response, meaning that we can't even get stressed because we're so depleted. And these presenting symptoms can include anorexia, fatigue, lethargy overall, depression, muscle weakness. And research suggests that this is due to long-term consequences of early trauma. And it's resetting the regulation of the LHPA axis so that cortisol secretions are set lower during non-stressful conditions. So a little more into adulthood, psychological stress and telomeres. Now remember, when I spoke about transgenerational epigenetic trauma, I spoke about telomeres. And I did a show on longevity. And those are the parts of our genes which are right now in medicine, we look at as a indicator of longevity, right? And telomeres are really important to have healthy. And things like exercise, of course, uh, lifestyle, uh, eating well, 
These are all things that really affect our telomeres positively, meditation, self-talk, all those amazing things. But we see the telomeres as a huge study in longevity, as I mentioned. And as these markers of longevity, right, these are the biomarkers of our aging, these DNA sequences at the end of our chromosomes are beginning to be seen to be degraded in people who have had had early stress, long-term stress due to child trauma. In a prospective long-term study of children from ages five to 10, children who experience two or more types of violence, measured as bullying, witnessing domestic violence, physical abuse, have increased telomere erosion compared to children who didn't experience that violence. Then come adulthood, we start seeing diseases. We see the immune system, as I touched on earlier, has been shown to be dysregulated, both over and underregulated in individuals who experience early trauma. So we may see a really crappy immune system where they're chronically getting sick with infections, or we may see a hyperactive immune system where you see something like autoimmune disease. Also, a longitudinal study in adults with a history of maltreatment had elevated BMI levels, cholesterol levels, glycated hemoglobin, that's an indicator of diabetes, as well as low levels of HDL and high levels of C-reactive protein, the measure of systemic inflammation. And we also see an increased activation of inflammatory processes and the dysregulation of the immune system, as I mentioned, along with other biological stress response systems, such as the LHPA access discussed earlier. Well, this can lead to hypertension, accelerated atherosclerosis, metabolic syndrome, impaired growth, and immune system suppression. So what I'm trying to highlight is we see the acute reaction in the brain and the adrenals of children. Then we start seeing early mental, emotional, or cognitive issues in adolescence. And then as we grow older, and this isn't for everyone, but then as we grow older, generally speaking, this is when we see the manifestation of disease onset. So we know about the stressful event or the events and how they affect our physiology, but is there a genetic component that some of us carry that make us more susceptible, right? What are the role of epigenetics? Before we review those, and those who don't know what epigenetics is, epigenetics refers to a potentially heritable and environmentally modifiable change in genetic expression or changes that are mediated via non-DNA encoded mechanisms. So what that means is basically we have gene susceptibility that are influenced by our environment. So if your mom had breast cancer, it's likely that you had that genetic susceptibility. But through epigenetics, 90% of the manifestation of whether or not you get cancer is going to come from your environment. That's epigenetics, the way the environment affects your genes. And to better understand, scientists found that those who were in utero during famine were a few pounds heavier than average. Because of mothers, they were starving, automatically quieted a gene in the unborn child that involved burning the body's fuel. So when the children reach middle age, they had higher levels of LDL, which is the quote unquote bad cholesterol and triglyceride levels. They also suffered higher rates of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and schizophrenia. So when the scientists looked at why, they found that the children born into famine carried a specific chemical marker, an epigenetic signature on one of their genes that healthy children did not. So that's epigenetics. Now, when it comes to trauma, there's growing evidence that epigenetic changes are a key mechanism by which stressors interact with our gene, leading to stabilized changes in DNA structure, expression, and behavior. Now, it's important to understand that because changes in our DNA behavior and expression can lead to disease. So early traumatic experiences have shown to alter parts of our DNA that are responsible for regulating biological stress, including the glucocorticoid receptor that we talked about earlier, meaning that 
Children who are born into stressful events and environments and epigenetically susceptible, which is high likely considering trauma is passed down, uh, their ability to handle stress is even worse than the healthy child who's born into a healthier social environment. And the concern is that the chronic residual stress that remains after the event itself could even induce these changes, leading to a dysregulation and disease that results in adulthood from the trauma, as I mentioned before. So to understand better, we have susceptibility. And through the stress, it gets activated, especially in childhood. And that genetic change can last a lifetime for us. Now, here's an important point. We associate stress with something we want to get rid of. And we don't want to fully get rid of stress. Remember that. But the evolution of looking at stress, we have to live with it and adapt to live with it. If we look at our caveman ancestors, they lived in a particular environment that forced them to fast for a really long time, right? Prolonged periods. And this would induce stress. But those that would adapt to the stress right? Due to a random mutation in their genes would give them a slight edge to pass on their genes through evolution. So what epigenetics says is that environmentally induced stresses alter the caveman gene expression in the our immediate lifetime, right? Not the mutations to the gene themselves, but rather expressions of genes on and off that are adapting to our environment. So in a sense, epigenetics is a method of us physically storing our environmental influences as memory so we can pass on our genes so our children can come into a world with that memory. The problem is this, if we fast forward to our present day, we face very different types of stress, right? We have food accessibility for most of us that are blessed to, uh, but we are now living in a world with chronic low level stress or intense psychological traumatic situations. Our bodies are not well equipped to handle this, but we use that infrastructure that our same caveman ancestors used to handle these newer types of stress and we're not cut out for it. So the reason why so many of us have childhood trauma and have a hard time feeling good in our bodies is because our body hasn't adapted to the trauma and it feels like it just happened yesterday, right? But it was 20 years ago. And this is why trauma becomes generational, right? Because our body adapted physiologically when we were children and adolescents and manifested as diseases in adults, psychological or physical, but the memory feels like it just happened yesterday. And it's passed down over and over because our body's holding it in through these mechanisms. So let's say you have an abusive mom or an abusive dad, their traumatic event that happened seemed like it was yesterday to their body. And their body needs to remember like it was yesterday because it needs to protect them every single day. The very idea of epigenetics has a huge impact on how our environment, namely stress, can alter not only our biology, but our children's and our children's children and our children's 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 biology. So Dr. Rachel Yehuda, Director of Traumatic Stress Studies Division at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City, conducted a 2015 study on the children of 40 Holocaust survivors. And she found that they had epigenetic changes to a gene linked to their levels of cortisol, the hormone involved in stress response. And she also found a distinctive pattern of DNA methylation, another epigenetic marker. The study itself concluded that both parents and unborn children were affected on a genetic level. So what that means is that children, children's children's, children's 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 of Holocaust survivors, still generations down the line have had poor ability to handle stress versus children born from non-Holocaust survivors. Similar results were found in children born in 9-11 survivors, 
More research in mice has found that parents exposed to toxins, altered diets, challenging environments, had offsprings that show behavioral changes, weight gain, and can impact the brain and development of their offspring. Stress and depression have been predominantly associated with epigenetic alterations in genes involved in mediating resiliency and vulnerability to stress. Okay, so I said a lot here, but I wanted to paint the picture of what childhood trauma is defined as, how it looks when a child experiences the trauma in our body, what is the mechanism that happens in our body, what is the dysregulation that happens in our neurotransmitters, in our hormones. Also then, what happens as we become adolescents in school? How does it manifest and why? What's happening in our bodies then? And then ultimately, what happens in adulthood? I also wanted to stress the importance of epigenetics and how our grandfather's trauma in many ways is our trauma. But now's the time where I give some recommendations on what the heck we can do. Because so many of us are probably listening going, okay, all right, I hear you. I remember something when I was young, or I definitely remember something that I was young. I can't forget it. But regardless, we can all benefit from doing certain things to support our mental and physical health. Just because we have epigenetic changes doesn't mean that we can't do the best with our physiology. So early stages of research point towards social support, acting as a buffer for the dysregulation that occurs from trauma. So really important early on that social support is given to the child, adolescent, or even the adult. Also, quality of childcare has been shown to reduce alterations to the LHPA axis. And adult studies have shown that social support is associated with decreased cortisol responses in experimentally induced stressed individuals. So super interesting. A strong moderating effect of positive social environment has also been found in adults with a specific allele of the oxytocin receptor gene, who have been exposed to early stress. And this is because increased resiliency in adulthood was found only in those individuals who have been surrounded by a positive familial environment during childhood. So in other words, the more community that you have, the more positive community you have, right? With positive social inputs to your body, essentially you are better equipped with your health, even if you've had trauma. So really, really important understanding. This is why I say community is immunity, right? Because if you have a strong sense of community, in many ways, it can override that stressful response, which we developed as a result from child trauma. Also, perception of trauma matters. This is why talk therapy can help. And this is not to undermine any significance of the traumatic event itself, but some researchers are saying that your perception of the trauma is actually more important than the event itself in terms of impacting your health negatively. And we know this because, and this is again, not to undermine, when there's a traumatic event, there's a traumatic event. It happened, it can't unhappen. But in many ways, 20 years later, the event is still occurring in our head and in our bodies because we are not creating the space between the event and the reality. Uh, I was thinking I had a vision of myself when I was meditating of shackles holding my hands around my wrist and holding me down. And then all of a sudden the shackles were not around my wrist, they were on my hand and I was holding them. In many ways, even if we experienced a traumatic event, it happened, but it is us who holds on to those shackles still that's having a negative mental talk response in our body. So again, that's why talk therapy can really help. Uh, we see that in one study that showed heart surgery patients with strong social support and a spiritual practice had one seventh the mortality rate versus those who don't. 
Another showed that preoperative psychological factors had significant impacts on short and long-term outcomes after cardiac surgery. Now, more research is needed, but the importance of perspective can't be undermined. Perspective, 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 perspective. What is your talk? What is your story on it? The event happened, but what is the story after the event? That's really important to understand. Eventually, research will progress to the point where we can understand the exact gene interactions for the individual themselves and direct tailored treatment for the chemical imbalance, maybe one day. Sleep hygiene is also very, very, very important. In longitudinal investiga investigations of sexually abused girls, self-reported sleep disturbances were seen in approximately 10 years post-abuse compared to those, in those girls in a control and were related to current depression, PTSD, and re-victimization. Got to make sure that you are working on your sleep, number one, doing everything. I did a show on sleep and sleep hygiene, so go back to that and take those recommendations because it's going to be a really, really healthy intervention for a restorative function. I mentioned therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy has been shown to be helpful. Uh, it's also been shown through fMRI that it may heal behavioral therapy. Many of these dysregulations in the fear response uh, negative emotion centers of our brain. And last but not least, the advent of psychedelics have offered enormous impact in healing from PTSD. Uh, probably the most powerful thing we've seen in medicine yet. Uh, so I would look into MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychological Studies, and MDMA and PTSD therapists, and see if they're running any trials near you. And that would be really powerful intervention to look into. All right, there you go. That is my talk on child trauma. I really hope that um, it aligned with many of us, and I hope that it offered some information, understanding, and most of all, empowerment for how we can change our health for the better. All right, let's move on to our very, very, very special guest. I can't wait to get into conversation with her. You're going to be so excited by her excitement. Her passion is infectious, but let's talk about anxiety. Let's really get into the nitty-gritty of anxiety. I've been talking a lot, especially as recently, about mental health right? And all of the things we experience when we are really going through it, right? Anxiety, especially how that feels in our bodies, how we show up with anxiety. Now, I got, I got an expert on the show. I got Wendy Suzuki. She's a professor of neuroscience and psychology at NYU. She's the author of Healthy Brain, Happy Life, and amazing, the newest one, Good Anxiety. So I'm super excited to talk to the expert out here about anxiety. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience to prove that it's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in their process is rooted in health focused principles backed by solid scientific research based rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty-grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. 
Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity. And this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research-based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been open that I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights and these are staples. And, I, and not just me, I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle, staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. Trust is everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. Yeah, I, you know, I just love that I can be on Instagram in the middle of my living room and you pop up and I'm like, who is this person talking about anxiety? How can I get her on the show? <laughs> and then I love how we can just make it happen in our, in our field. It's just like, how can we better people out there, especially with the mental health? How can we better them? And what you're doing in the world is awesome. So I'm so honored to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Okay, Doc, look, how do you all of a sudden step into just being the expert on anxiety? How do you just start going, okay, I mean, do you have a personal story with anxiety? Like, did you, did you come out of school going, I, I really want to work in mental health and especially anxiety? How did that start for you? It really started the very first day of my freshman year at UC Berkeley when I walked into a classroom with a full professor, just, you know, 15 students. And she told us about the concept of brain plasticity, the idea that the brain 
can change its connections and grow. And, and she discovered it. She discovered it in adult mammals. Wow. And I went, wow, I, I want to study that. I want to, I want to understand how the brain can do that. What, what allows it to be so, so flexible, so plastic. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I studied lots of things before I got to anxiety. I studied memory, how memory works. It's one of the most common things that we do every single day. That is literally changing the synapses in your brain, mm -hmm. the new things that you learn. So we've never met before. Okay, you might have seen me on Instagram, so you know what I look like. But, yeah. but now you will have a deeper memory, a bigger memory, a stronger memory of me. And that that is, is um, undergirded by physical changes in your brain. That, that is an example of brain plasticity. Mm -hmm. And then I went into well, exercise. Exercise is an amazing way to change and grow the brain, which was my first book, Healthy Brain, Happy Life, mm -hmm. talking about how I discovered the, the trans transformative effects of exercise on the brain. And then I started to notice uh, a a form of what we call negative brain plasticity, things that can change the brain for the worse. Not everything changes the brain for the better. And the thing that I was noticing was rising levels of anxiety in my NYU students. And not only in my NYU students, in myself, in my friends, mm. in my colleagues, really wanted to explore that as another um, facet of brain plasticity. And um, that's how I got into um, uh, the, the study of anxiety. And I hear your passion. I hear it coming through. And it's, it's, a, it's amazing stuff because when, when we learn that the brain is not fixed and it's always learning and moving and growing and shrinking, yeah. it's, it's mind-blowing because then we go, wow, even, even our thoughts, right, which are listening mm -hmm. stress in our body can be changing our brain, you know? And yeah. it, it's, it's something... When I learned that, I, I actually started saying a very positive daily mantra because I mm -hmm. wanted to speak that, feel that in my body. So my brain yes. at some point over a few months starts wiring, rewiring, refiring. So it becomes easier yeah. of a belief system. So you, you, you mentioned about the plasticity aspect. What are some of the things that really, aside from, and, and I want to go all on exercise because I have my own experience with my brain and exercise, but what are some mm. of the things outside of exercise that really start giving us that positive, new plastic connection in our brain where you, we're like, we need more of this and we need it every single day? Yeah, I mean, all the things that make sense. Uh, I already mentioned learning, new learning, uh, go out. Uh, be um, be explorers of your world. Um, uh, meet new people, learn new things, go to new places. That is a wonderful way to change your brain to to get exposed to so many different sensory experiences. New sensory experiences change the brain. So that woman's who's that woman whose class I walked into that that first day of my freshman year, she did this beautifully elegant experiment where she wanted to determine whether the adult brain could actually change in a positive way. Because at that time, the thought was, once you're done growing up and you've become an adult, no more brain change. Right. And so she raised rats in what she called an enriched environment, which for a rat was a big old rat cage with other rats and toys that changed every day. I like to call it the Disney world of rat cages. <laughs> 
And that literally changed the anatomy of their brain so much so, so that way back in the 1960s, when she discovered this, they were able to, to measure that. So I always think back to that. It's like, how can I live in the Disney world of rat cages? I have lots of social interaction. I have lots of different stimuli. That for me is the classic way to get, you know, wonderful, big, big, positive brain changes. Wow. I'm inspired because, you know, I, I had this friend in San Diego. You go to her place and it was like the Disney world of brain challenges. There was a, a, <laughs> a bar that she, every time she took phone calls, she'd like work, walk on this really thin plank bar and keep her balance. Mm. And then when she was on, sometimes on speaker, she would have like two weights and she would like move her hand this way. And then she'd have all these brain games and like she'd have yeah. to, it, it was sort of like a frogger where she would point to like the, this dot that was coming up all around uh -huh. the screen, but just challenging herself. But I'm thinking about, wow, you've inspired me just thinking about how I should make some purchases to my place just so I can just explore or challenge my brain every single day. Because we don't do that yeah. anymore once we, we, when we come out of college where exactly. we were studying, exactly. right? It just changes over time. So uh, everyone listening, yeah, just challenge yourself with something that they can that is new to you like you said even going to new places i always heard that the brain right. likes routine is that is that not true when the brain likes to be in a routine or does it also the brain is it contrasted with expanding new experiences well it's two different things what the brain likes and what the brain will experience brain plasticity for mm -hmm. uh sometimes needs a little bit of a push so the brain is very good at forming habits. We have all these habits. Some of them are great habits. Some of them we work so, so long to kind of break those habits. So we're really good at forming habits, forming rituals. Um, but what the brain responds to in terms of this amazing capacity of brain plasticity is novelty. It's learning. It's mm. new experiences. It's new tastes. It's new, um, uh, uh, things that you can feel. And I would say that you're, you're absolutely right. A lot of people, you know, after college, they go and find one thing and they do it for a long time. But we all know people that have decided, you know, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to change my profession. I'm going to do something new. And I always admire those people. It's mm -hmm. like that, that takes a lot of brain power. It takes a lot of discipline. And boy, you are really, um, uh, really pushing your brain yeah. plasticity in a positive way when you do that. I'll tell you something, Doc. I may have not changed careers, but I took a new route this morning on my walk to the beach. Okay. And, and, that and, is good. And that was exciting because I got to see new, <laughs> new trees, new people walking their new dogs, new, new houses, <laughs> new observations, new smells. So I'm totally with it. Yeah. Just conti continuously yeah. like creating more excitement through experience in your life. Now, I want to talk about the opposite. What are some things that we're doing in our lives that are really affecting or creating that negative brain, brain plasticity that you mentioned? Well, the number one thing that I wrote the book on is chronic anxiety, which comes with chronic stress. Um, stress on its own and anxiety on its own, as I write in the book, is good. It's helpful. It can be protective. But the reason why it doesn't feel protective at all uh, to almost anybody is that the volume on our stress and anxiety is turned way, way up. Too much of a good thing, too much chocolate, too much red wine, too much, you know, of your favorite thing is, is bad. You want it in that optimum zone. And so good anxiety is helping us get our anxiety, not only to that optimum zone, but to leverage that 
activation energy that comes with anxiety to make your life better, to give you some gifts and superpowers that you might not have even realized come with anxiety. And this is and this is perfect timing. How many of us have been in anxiety for the past year and a half, suffering? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, I find, see, I, I stopped even turning on a TV because all I felt was waves of anxiety just coming, you know, doomsday is is near. And it's like, well, I need to center myself, have these new experiences, walk around, talk to people in the street, you know, to remember yeah. that like the world is safe, right? And and mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting thing, but I can I can, people have DM me. I've go I've been going through so much anxiety. What do you suggest, doc? Yeah. Um what when it comes to that good anxiety, how do we feel? How do we know that it's good anxiety versus like oh no, like this anxiety is not the good one. It's the one that's really breaking down my my yeah. body. What really comes with good anxiety is a good mindset around anxiety. So mindset reset number one, anxiety can be good. Because so many of us, that word anxiety is just, oh, get it out the door. I don't want it. Don't even talk to me about it. I just have too much of it. But um, mindset shifting, uh, number one, that's so important, is that it is good. It is protective. It is essential. And that is critical to, to, you know, walk into your new relationship with anxiety Mm -hmm. with that core belief. And so um, the other important thing is that my thing, I'm not going to get rid of your anxiety. I'm sorry. Those uncomfortable uh, feelings, they're going to be there for a reason. They're always going to be there, but you're going to use them differently. You're going to say, oh, there's that feeling. What is important? What, what should I be paying attention to rather than, oh, this is another, you know, how am I going to get through this? It is a complete resh- um, reshaping of how you respond to it, how you interpret mm. these uncomfortable feelings, because we as humans are, um, we would love to, so many of us would love to only live in that happy zone. I'm just going to stay in this small little happy zone, but As humans, we have all of these feelings from happy all the way down to grief and sadness and and all the most uncomfortable ones. They're there for a reason. They make us human. What are they there for? In the the long run, they are, and in most cases, I should say, they're there to warn us. They're there to tell us, oh, pay attention to this or get away from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you take them as a finely tuned warning system to help protect you in life, you get away from that, I don't want them anymore. And you start to say, thank you. Thank you for that warning. I I feel that. I feel that fear. That fear is not going to change, but I'm going to use that fear in a different way. Beautiful. I'm in total alignment with that because to understand that nature has given us these feelings, right? And to accept them, there was the whole concept of toxic positivity, right? And I, man, years ago, I was like, anxiety, no, I'm only thinking positive. I'm only feeling positive. Mm. And um, blocking out those, the the expansiveness of human emotion, including anxiety. And what I'm hearing from you is that we can work with anxiety. In your book, Good Anxiety, we can work with anxiety so it serves us, right? So it comes through us and doesn't stick to us Mm -hmm. every single day, all day. Now let's chat about something crucial that is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure 
when it comes to products as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right, we have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or on your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. Pure's O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Pure is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Pure.com. Use my promo code DRG. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Pure. These days... These days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water, or kombucha or coffee or tea, but not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century-old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha, plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash DRG. They're so confident that you're going to love it. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. No code at checkout. Just go to P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash DRG. You're going to get 15% off plus all those freebies. So right, right. a lot of people listening, viewing, they're going, okay, I have anxiety. I know I do it. And, yeah. it, and it's not going away. Yeah. What are some right. tips? What are some tips we can do yeah. to work with versus resist? So um, while I, uh, it's absolutely killer, you're not getting rid of those emotions. As I said, the first step is to turn that volume down. We don't want anxiety to be it, uh, um, coming up for, for us uh, 24-7. So what are some techniques to turn that volume down? The book is full of um, tools in a big toolbox uh, that I put in the third section so it'd be easy to find. And the number one and number two on that toolbox list to turn your, your anxiety down, number one, deep breathing. So simple, so powerful. There's a reason why monks for thousands of years have tapped into deep breathing. Breath meditation is one of the oldest forms of meditation, gets you into that calmer state. 
And I'm going to tell you exactly why it gets you into the calmer state is because with deep breathing, you are activating the natural de-stressing part of your nervous system. Now, how many of you realized that you had a natural de-stressing part of the nervous system? Everybody has heard of fight or flight, right? Everybody raise your hand if you heard of fight or flight. Yes, I've heard of it. That is called, that is um, undergirded by the sympathetic nervous system. It's part of the autonomic nervous system. Everybody's heard of it. It's like, oh, you know, I, I have my fight or flight going. It's my stress response. And that's absolutely true. But how come you don't know about the parasympathetic nervous system that is there to work in the opposite direction of that fight or flight system? What does it do? It decreases your heart rate. Mm -hmm. It decreases your respiration rate. And it, it shunts blood from your muscles where it shunted to when you were about to run away or fight somebody and it shunts it back to your digestion and reproductive organs so you can have a nice calm uh, Sunday relaxation period. And the best way to activate that powerful de-stressing system in your own body is deep breathing. That's why it works. Powerful. It's so That's crazy. It's so crazy. I, I, <laughs> I changed my breathing. As soon as you said, I go, yes, yes, deep breathing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure everyone that, you know, when you, when you're like doing a lecture and you talk about the importance of drinking water and then you see half the room mm -hmm. start drinking water, I yeah. guarantee <laughs> whoever's listening right now, they just stopped and they made sure they're breathing, not from their top chest or clavicle, they're breathing from their stomach right. and deep breathing. And, and, and that's number one. And that's why I love breath work. And I love just meditation and like getting back to the body right. because it's the part, we don't even talk about parasympathetic. We need a, a rhyme for parasympathetic. Oh, rest and digest. But um, we need yeah. we 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 definitely need to bring parasympathetic to the surface. Now I heard you say that was number one. Yeah, you, I know yeah. you're you're itching to say number two. What's number two? So number two is moving your body. Physical movement of your body, as I like to say, is the most transformative thing that you can do for your brain right now. Because every time you move your body, including just going for a walk, I'm not talking about running a marathon. I'm talking about moving your body, walk around your dining room table, go outside, go for a walk, go up and down the stairs. Why does that work? It works because every single time you move your body, you release a whole bunch of powerful neurochemicals in your brain. And you've heard of some of these neuro neurochemicals. They include dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, endorphins. And um, that is why when you are moving your body, you go out for a walk and you come back and say, oh my God, it feels so much better. God, thank, thank goodness I was able to go out for a walk. It is those neurochemicals working. It's like a bubble bath for your brain every single time you do it. And why is it number two instead of number one? They're really closely tied for number one, but the breath work is so powerful. And I like to start, start with that because you can do the breath work in the middle of an anxiety provoking conversation. Nobody even knows you're doing it. You can teach your kids, your nieces, your nephews, how to do that in calmer times. So you send them off to school with this powerful tool to calm their fear, calm their anxiety, mm -hmm. calm their stress. It's harder to do that with, with um, movement, but just as powerful. So that's my number one and number two. I love that. And, and, and just, you know how easy it is to wake up in the morning, you know, just drink a little water, brush your teeth, whatever, and then just practice some deep breaths. Maybe, maybe for, yeah. if not for 60 seconds, maybe you could do for five minutes and then get up, go for a walk around the block. There you go. That's a way to get right. your day started. It's incredible exactly. that like, cause what you named was free. 
How much money do we have to yeah, spend on exactly. doing that, right? Other than, exactly. other than zero. Or like you said, in the middle of an anxiety-inducing conversation, we can go, okay, am I holding my right. breath right now? Or am I right. breathing deeply? That's a common occurrence. You start to hold your breath and you get even more anxious because of that. But if you become more aware, and that's where the practice comes in. It doesn't have to be hours of practice. But just bring in that uh, a deep breathing. Remind yourself to deep breathe mm-hmm. um, several times a day, and that that will go a long way. So, I- but actually, I wanted to go back. Sorry, go because you said something that I loved, which was that you um, uh, you you added positive thoughts, positive affirmations uh, when you were you know uh, uh, starting to get anxious and 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 stressed out. And that is one of my favorite tools in the toolbox, which was actually inspired by a book that I saw that was written by Lynn Manuel Miranda of mm-hmm. Hamilton frame yeah. fame. He has a book out. Uh, that is all of the positive self tweets that he gives himself in the morning and in the evening. Wow. And so it's like positive self tweet, like Lynn Manuel Miranda. Doesn't that sound like fun? Like what if you were Lynn Manuel and Miranda, what would you say, you know, to yourself mm-hmm. in a rhyme, in a fun way? Okay, I don't rhyme very well, but still, it's a fun thing to kind of inspire yourself and and a fun way to get um um to to, to get yourself to Say something positive about yourself. You know, speak in a different voice. Speak like yes. Lynn Manuel Miranda. Speak like Oprah. Yeah. You know, what would Oprah say to herself first thing in the morning? So that's that's another tool in the toolbox. I just made one up thinking about it. Today is the time where I radiate and shine. There you go. Ah, beautiful. Just there came to you me. Go. Came, that's a tweet that I saw <laughs> in my head. So, but but yeah, I challenge everyone out there: do a little rhyme for yourself. And make it positive and, and, you know, how beautiful everyone else sees you. You may not see yourself, how beautiful everyone else sees you. Write it as a person saying it to you, but then say it as yourself. And how powerful exactly. that is if you say it every morning. This is what I do on my walk. I, I, I look like a crazy man walking up and down my street talking to myself, but I'm really just doing my affirmations out loud, talking about all the, all the positive things that I want to bring to myself in the world. Um, so, you know, Doc, I got sick with mold a few years ago. And it really mm-hmm. messed up my memory. I mean, my first few shows that I did a few years, two and a half years ago, I couldn't even recall short-term memory words like almond, like beach, like sand. Mm. And exercise was one of the biggest mm. things that helped me. I got into a like yeah. five-day-a-week exercise routine. And even the days yeah. I wasn't working out, I was walking. And mm-hmm. what, how, what, what are like... What's happening? What is exercise doing to my brain that all of a sudden yeah. I was healing from the inflammation of that moldy place that yeah. I was staying at? Well, that is a beautiful treatment for yourself for that for that memory problem that you're having. Because one of the wows of what exercise does for your brain. First, it gives you that bubble bath. Every time you do it, uh, you get this wonderful bubble bath. But the other thing that's in that regular bubble bath that you were giving yourself and you continue to give yourself are growth factors. One particular growth factor that gets stimulated and and released in your brain with every movement session is a growth factor called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's abbreviated as BDNF. And that goes directly to your hippocampus, which is so important for allowing you to lay down new memories for facts and events. And do you know what it does? It stimulates the birth of brand new shiny hippocampal cells in your hippocampus. 
And the more you work out, the more BDNF, the more new neurons are born. They integrate. And these brand new shiny neurons, all the rest of the neurons in your hippocampus have been there since you were born. These new shiny um, new neurons kind of are like teenage neurons. They're excitable. They like to join all the new memories and they work really, really well. And so um, that is what you're giving yourself uh, with with um, regular exercise. And not only that, you not only get new neurons in the hippocampus, you get new synapses in your prefrontal cortex that helps you keep track of things, keep your focus and attention well aligned. So you were just helping your brain at all different levels with that regular exercise. That oh, you're I doing. love that. I love I love we got down to the nitty-gritty of finding out what's happening in the brain. And it's so inspiring because we know, I mean, here are some people thinking, okay, I, I'm reducing inflammation and uh, and I'm and I'm actually feeding the brain with with good uh, nutrients from uh, working out, but to know that you can create new cells is really inspiring. Yes. New cells, it new is. connections because then you're like whoa, like I can totally reheal the brain even if it's gone through some damage. Yeah, yeah. And can I answer the question that I know that everybody is thinking right now? And that question is, how little exercise do I really need to do to get question. those new brain cells? That was right? my next okay. question. And I have an answer for you. And so my answer comes from um, studies that I did in um, people that started out, they were they were not regular exercisers. So they exercised less than 30 minutes a week for the last two or three months. And we asked how much exercise um, did they have to do to, to start seeing some of these clear brain benefits. They, they, these people improved hippocampal function. They improved prefrontal function. They had changes in their baseline mood state that went up. It got, it got more positive mm -hmm. and they did that with only two to three times a week cardio workout for 45 wow. minutes. They, they did a workout that increased their cardio. Now, can you do that for your brain just two to three times a week? Yeah, it's not nothing, but you need to, you know, you need to actually get these, you know, bubble baths going mm -hmm. to get something going. So I feel that, um, I was really excited and inspired to see that happening. We went from, you know, uh, not working at it all to just two to three times a week. And we got these significant brain changes. So that, that is my answer. Uh, the best answer that we have in my lab from, um, um, uh, for today. Fantastic. Because for 40, all right, two to three times a week, 45 minutes. I mean, yeah. you can go for a jog around your block. If you have mm -hmm. a bike at your house, yeah, like I, I, what I do is some beach workouts with friends sometimes Saturday morning, Sunday nice. morning. And, and, 45 minutes. That's that's 45 yeah. minutes less that you're scrolling on your phone, right? Which, exactly. which which could be detrimental in many ways to you. Now you can be just just sacrifice those 45 minutes of of, you know, mindless stuff and know that you can be helping your brain. It's so powerful. Now before we yeah. got on air, you mentioned something and I never heard this word called joy conditioning. I know ah, fear I yeah. know fear conditioning. But what mm -hmm. is joy conditioning and how is it <laughs> applicable to all this stuff we're talking about? So joy conditioning is one of my favorite tools in the toolbox in Good Anxiety. Uh, I named it How to Worry Well. So all the tools to show you how to worry well. And joy conditioning really comes from my 25 years studying how memory works in the brain. So um, it, it's also a, it's a direct kind of positive attack on fear conditioning that happens automatically. So I had uh, somebody break into my apartment when I lived in Washington, DC, 
And uh, they did it on a Sunday. And I remember coming, I still remember coming around the corner and seeing my door crowbarred in. That seared in my memory. And that is fear conditioning. Every time I turn that corner, sad story, I, I have this fear come up for the rest of the time I live there. That happens automatically. It's also protective. But I was thinking, God, you know, this, this is terrible. We're just gathering up all these fear conditioning memories. We need something to counteract that. And um, so I came up with joy conditioning. Joy conditioning, here's the idea. You go back and you um, you sort through all the most joyous, all the most funny, happy, amazing memories from your life. I don't care whether they're from childhood, whether they're from, you know, adolescence, uh, the last best party you went to. Mm -hmm. And we know with these kinds of, they're called episodic memories, they're dependent on the hippocampus, that the more you retrieve them, the more you relive them, the stronger they get. Not only the information about who, what, where, when was there, but the emotions that come with them. So joy conditioning is just the practice of reliving the most joyous memories in your life to strengthen those memories, to strengthen those positive memories. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen automatically. You need to, you need to give it a little effort and, and, and comb through them. But I think you'll find that, um, I found that I don't think enough about all the joyous things right. that have happened right. to me. And, um, it's, it's a wonderful way just to remember all the best memories of your life and, and, and bring those positive emotions back. And that's joy conditioning. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's, it's, uh, it, you're so right. We've, we've put so much emphasis and memory on the people who've hurt us or the situations yeah. we've been in that have been yeah. based in fear. And it's like we're in this addictive physiological state of fear energy in our body, right? All of the bio, yeah. bio, biology that happens in our body. And we're just used to it. We love the cortisol, right? We don't like how it makes us feel, but our body's yeah. so used to it. But it sounds yeah. to me that through this joy conditioning practice, we're not only remembering, we're changing the state of our body, right? Where all those good yeah. neurochemicals in our body are going, yes, we felt so good when we were with at that yeah. family reunion and hugging our cousin that we haven't seen exactly. in years and dancing and singing and eating good food. And then we feel that in our body. I mean, for me, yeah. I would I would challenge everyone to do that every single day. Do it every morning or Absolutely. do it before bed. Feel good in yeah. your body. I, I love, love, love that practice. So, um, yeah. So your book, Good Anxiety, uh, is out. Your first book, mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to talk about, what is the first book about? Healthy Brain, Happy Life is really kind of a science memoir about how I went from a nerdy scientist studying the electrophysiology of the hippocampus to being mesmerized by the transformative effects of exercise on the brain. So as a tenured professor, I decided to completely change my research program because I thought that that form of brain plasticity with exercise was so important with the potential to change literally millions of lives. I needed to study that. And I wanted to be a flexible kind of scientist that, that just goes towards those questions mm -hmm. that, that, can be, should be answered. And so um, it's about me kind of discovering that power. And, and I explain the neuroscience along the way. Uh, and so anybody who wants to be inspired by how much moving your body can transform your brain, 
um, I recommend that book. Amazing. You're a teacher at NYU. Where, where do we get your books? Everywhere. Uh, I, I always recommend independent booksellers. I'm a big supporter of independent booksellers. If you go to um, wendysuzuki.com or goodanxiety.com, you can find all the links there for everywhere you would ever want to buy the book and just one click, one click away. <laughs> Dr. Wendy, I am so inspired by your passion. It is like, hey, listen, you're not in the studio, but even through this telecom medium, <laughs> I feel it. And I and I know that the audience does. I think you're doing fantastic work in the world. Your your energy, your your positivity, your radiancy is so palpable. I I would I would have loved in college to be in your class. I would have been the teacher's pet in the front, always raising my hand, being like, no, 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 I know, I know the answer to that. I know the answer to that because, man, you, you make these topics so exciting. So I honor you so much and in your work. And everyone who's listening, who's listened to this, go get those books right now. Order it right after the show and, and read through it because so many of us are, are suffering with anxiety. So many yeah. of us, whether it's a little bit, a tiny drop or constantly every single day and all, and all it can do is benefit us. So thank you so much, Wendy. Any, any other plans, uh, anything coming in the pipeline that we, that you, that you want to share with us? Yes, we have exciting new workshops in the works, uh, for, of course, uh, college students starting out but for corporations, for organizations that want to have a science-based way to decrease anxiety in the workplace, uh, we are um, developing something so exciting for you. So go to goodanxiety.com as we roll that out. And I'm really excited about those possibilities. Oh, I'm excited too. Thank you, Dr. Wendy Suzuki, for your time and showing up on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. 